How are we doing? Good, good, good. Hey, go ahead and open your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 2. Uh, if you haven't gotten a scripture journal yet in our series in the last few weeks, please raise your hand. This is our gift to you. So if you haven't been here in person the last couple of weeks or if you missed it, raise your hand. We want to give you this scripture journal to help you take notes, to help you engage with the Word, most importantly, to help you learn how to read the Bible for yourself. Uh, so that as you come to service and as you listen to preaching, this is just the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae you already got with the Lord all week long, all right? So that's how you're really going to grow. Uh, so go ahead and grab one of those, pull it out. If you don't have it, uh, we'd love to give you one. Uh, I want to say welcome, especially if you're new. My name is Nate, one of the pastors here. So glad that you're here. We want to make sure uh, that you get connected to everything God has for you here. And so there's a welcome table out in the back. You can come pray and talk to me at the end, uh, whatever it may be. We want to make sure uh, that you get connected and plugged in so that you can grow and take your next steps in your journey with the Lord, whatever that may be, at whatever stage it may be. Uh, yesterday, we had an amazing fall festival. Woo woo. It was great. Uh, thanks especially to the kids team who helped pull that off for the most part uh, and some awesome servant leaders that really put that together. Uh, people from all over the community were here, our neighbors were here, you guys were here. Uh, it was a really amazing event and a time for us to remember what we say all the time is that we are a community-centered church and we want this place, this field, this building to get worn out by the community uh, and by those who are not only far from God, but those who may be seeking the Lord or seeking help. And so that was awesome. Just thank you for coming out, and that was a really great time together. We hope to do something similarly awesome for Christmas time, so we'll see how that goes. But just go ahead and put your expectations on that. It's going to be great. So today we're in Habakkuk 2, verses 6 through 17. Um, you know, this week is a big week, you know. Uh, just a very small thing happening on Tuesday of very little uh, importance, but it's going to be a big deal this week, obviously, and we're here to preach the Bible, uh, but we also want to preach the Bible in context of what God's doing in the world around us. So uh, what's really helpful about this book, as we've been saying, man, what does it look like to have a conversation with God? So the last two weeks, especially if you missed it, I want you to check that out, because we're really walking through Habakkuk having a conversation with God and asking God some tough questions like, hey, why don't you do something? All these terrible things are happening around us. Uh, I thought you were good, you know. I thought you were in control. Why don't you do something? Which is a question we've often asked ourselves. Uh, and then Habakkuk, now, the next question, the question we're going to see today is who is really in charge? This is his next real question is to say, man, who's really in charge, God? Like, number one, why don't you do something? I'm so sick and tired of all these terrible things happening around me. You say that you care. Why don't you do something? And that's what we spent the last two weeks talking about. And now, as God continues to reveal his plan to Habakkuk, the next question really comes is like, man, who's, if this is happening the way you say, who's really in charge around here? Like, what is really happening? And the perspective that God gives us is going to be so helpful, especially as we elect a leader for this country to be reminded about who's really in charge. Who's really in charge? And as I've been saying the last couple of weeks, this is so important for us that in a time when the whole country could be shook and is shook about how things are going and what the results may be or would be, Christians should be the most stable, ready-to-go people on the planet. We should not be shook. No, 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 no. If we're going to teach the world anything, it's that our faith actually counts for something. It's that we actually have something greater that we believe in and that we trust in more than any political system. 
And so we can have opinions, we can be involved in all those things, but we will not be shook. No, 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 no. We're not going to respond like the world around us when things happen around us. We have the Lord, and our faith should make not only a spiritual difference in our lives, but a tangible difference in the world around us. This is so important for us to root ourselves as we vote and as we participate and as we pray and as we ask the Lord for certain things. Those things are great, but we want to root ourselves in who is really in charge. We're going to build the foundation of who's really running the world, and then we're going to apply basic everyday principles about how to live inside of that. But you got to have the foundation there first. Who's really in charge around here? This is what he's going to ask. And just to give you context, remember... The people of God who are living currently in Jerusalem are wicked and they're not doing the right thing. They're surrounded by injustice. And so the prophet Habakkuk sees all this injustice happening around him. He sees all this trouble, all this bad leadership, all of these things are happening, and he's very upset by that. So he says, God, why don't you do something? So God responds. He answers the question. He says, I am doing something. As a matter of fact, I'm doing more things than you can even comprehend. So what we learned at first was when it looks like God's doing nothing, he's actually doing something. He's doing something significant. And we learn to live in faith because of that. So God says, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, and I'm going to send them to wipe you out because you guys are wicked. And Habakkuk says, that's not a good plan. I would prefer a different plan. I'm glad you're doing something, but not that thing. Can we do something else? And now God's going to reveal to Habakkuk, no, this is the plan. This is how it's going to play out. And so Habakkuk is going to wrestle with the fact that, man, if these other people are going to come wipe us out and all of our people are going to experience this, the question that I and everybody else is going to have around me is like, what benefit is there to being God's people? I mean, who's, who's really in charge? Like, if they can come do that and if I can't see, what is really happening? So this is his trouble. And so now, because of that, God's going to respond to Habakkuk, and he's going to tell him after he destroys Jerusalem and makes a plan to restore them. Remember last week we talked about what backwards is forwards. So what looks like devastation to us is restoration to God. So he's working in the middle of those things. And now he's saying, after I do this to you, I'm going to do this to them, and I'm going to show both you and them who's really in charge. So you think you can have it your way? Burn. I'm going to bring up somebody else, and I'm going to show you that, no, you can't do it your way. No, 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 no. You're going to do things my way. I'm in charge. And then the people that he raises up who are going to think that they're conquering the whole world, and they're awesome, they're going to be prideful, and yeah, we're the best, he's going to come to them and be like, no, you're not the best either. I'm going to wipe you out just like this. Just like I raised you up, I'm going to wipe you out, and I'm going to show you. And so this is what we're going to see. What we're going to read is God's prophecy and his promise to Habakkuk to bring judgment to the Babylonians and to show both Jerusalem, the people of God, and the other nations who is really in charge of the world. So let's read this with that in mind, and it's going to help us. It's also going to help us. Part of the question here is when wicked people uh, rise to the top in nations and in the world, when wicked people run things around us uh, and they cause wickedness, what, what does God do? You know, like what does God do? What is he, how does he respond? And so we're going to see that as well, which is going to be really helpful to us. So Habakkuk 2, 6 through 17, let's read it with all those things in mind. So, shall not all of these take up their taunts against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, so this is the nations, God is talking for the nations who have been destroyed by the Babylonians and he's prophesying to the Babylonians about what's going to happen to them. This is it. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. 
for how long, and loads himself with pledges, will not your debtor suddenly arise, and those awake who, who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. He's talking to Babylon. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your own life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood, who founds a city in iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? Here's the sentence. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Verse 15, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and you make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence that is done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth and the cities and all who dwell in them. This is God's word and his prophecy to the people of Babylon, the very people that he's going to raise up to bring judgment on the people of God who live in Jerusalem and in Judah. And so here's the three questions I think we see answered from this text. The first is who is in charge? Who's in charge? So God wants to make it clear that he's in charge. This is part of the point of this prophecy. God just wants to make it clear because this hasn't happened yet. So Jerusalem and the people of God are about to get wiped out. Hasn't happened yet. It's been prophesied. And now God's going to say, when that happens, I want you to know that not only did I send it, so I'm in charge, but I'm going to judge the people who are judging you, and I'm going to punish them for their wickedness. They will not get away with what they have done. And he wants them to know that and to root themselves in that. And something we're going to see that you see a lot in the minor prophets, if you're studying this part of the Bible, is that nations rise and fall, but the Lord remains. This is so important for world history. It's important when you think about living in America right now, that nations rise and fall. This is the history of the world, but the Lord remains. Nations rise and fall, but the Lord remains. Nations rise and fall, but the Lord remains. People rise and fall into leadership and into positions, but the Lord remains. And the Lord wants to settle that to say, you were strong then, you're weak now. They're strong now, then I'm going to show their weakness. And this is going to happen all throughout history, but the Lord is saying, I'm the one who is truly in charge. As we saw a few weeks ago, Psalm 33 says that God's counsel will stand, that he frustrates the plans of the people. And so this is super helpful for us to root ourselves in this. You've got to root yourself in the reality that God is in charge, even in charge of the doings and the workings of wicked nations, okay? That those things are not outside of God's control. And so what we're going to see from Babylon, which is helpful for us, is they function like a modern-day proverb. So when you think about, hey, what am I supposed to learn from the fact that this is happening to them? One of the things you'll learn is that it looks like the Proverbs have come to life. So when you read the Proverbs about how life works, you're going to see this played out here. And one of the things, there's two things I want you to learn. Number one, as you're going to see here that you already know, hopefully we'll come to realize more so and more so that pride really does come before the fall. 
That is a true saying. It's true in the scriptures. It's true in real life. It's something you and I should be really aware of in our own hearts, and it's something that we think a lot about in terms of our engagement in the nation around us, that pride really does and always comes before the fall. There is not a proud man, a proud country, a proud anything that the Lord will not put on its knees. Pride always comes before the fall. Always, 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 always. And there's not a proud man or a proud country that God won't put down. Nobody's going to get the glory other than God. And God is serious about this. And so now as we think about their pride is the very thing in which God is going to use against them. That they think that they're doing so great and in the moment of their greatness God comes against them. And so we have to think about this in our own life. We have to think about where we're putting our boasting and our pride. What do we really feel prideful about? And how is that even working itself true in my own life that I see from here that though for years it looked like they were successful, eventually their fall came. Pride always comes before the fall. We see this played out both in their rise and in their fall, which all happened in less than 100 years. The rise and fall of Babylon as a nation that literally overtook the entire Middle Eastern area and as a nation that became nothing, all of that happened within 100 years. And so imagine from God's perspective, these people who think they're doing so great, and he knows how it's working out. So pride always comes before the fall. Be careful of pride in your own heart. Be careful of where you put your pride. Be careful of what you boast in. Pride always comes before the fall, unless your boasting comes in Jesus, because Jesus is the one that will remain. The second thing, you write this one down, this is so important. Whatever one sows, he reaps, and God will see to it, that's a guarantee. Tried to make it rhyme as best I could, okay? Whatever one sows, he reaps. And God will see to it. That's a guarantee. God will make it happen. What you sow, you reap. What you sow, you reap. Please hear me. This is so true for you and your life. What you sow, you reap. Look at this in the scriptures. I'm going to play this out for you uh, in terms of what's happening. Verses 6 and 8 are one thing towards them. And the basic summary of verses 6 through 8 is that those who were mocking will be mocked, and those who plundered will, will be plundered. The plunderer will become plundered, and the one who was mocking will be mocked himself. Whatever you sow, you reap. It's exactly what God is doing to them. Look in verses 9 through 11. A summary of this is the one who cuts off life around him will have his own life cut off. Look, he says, you forfeit your own life. As you steal the life of others and cut it off, you're forfeiting your own life in that act. Whatever you sow, you reap. Verses 12 through 14, the one who builds with sin will soon find his work demolished because of sin. So he says, he says man, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city with iniquity. Woe to him who builds his life with sin. Woe to him who builds his house on anger. Woe to him who builds his life on sinful desires. Woe to him who builds his company on sinful desires. Woe to him because the very method in which you use to build will be the very thing that brings you down. Woe to him. The one who builds with sin will find his work demolished by the very sin that he built it with. What you sow, you reap. Look in verses 15 through 17. A summary of this, the one who makes others drink the cup of sin will have to drink the cup of God's wrath. Here in the people of Babylon are leading others to indulge in the very practices that they're indulging in. 
the drunkenness, the orgies, all these different things that they're living in, this way of life that's totally separated from the way of God. And they're saying, come do this with us. And then he says, woe to those who lead others into sinful lifestyles because the cup that you gave them will turn into the cup of wrath that God will give you. And the same cup you made them drink full of sin, God will fill it with wrath and pour it out upon you. What you sow, you reap. And the final one from 15 through 17 is woe to him who want, who, uh, woe to him who wants glory, shame will come to you. The one who puts others to shame for his own glory will receive shame in the end. See what's happening? Babylon is gonna bring shame to nations. They're gonna overwhelm them, they're gonna make fun of them, they're gonna mock them, they're gonna strip them, they're gonna do all these things and shame them for their own glory. And God says, not on my watch, eventually I'm gonna take your glory and bring you shame. And the very shame that you put on other people, I'm going to give a hundredfold to you. What you sow, you reap. And this is very helpful, please hear me, and it sounds hard at some level too, but it's also encouraging to say that these things happen usually outside of the span of our understanding in our lifetime. And so for me to know, what is Habakkuk 2.4 last week? The righteous shall live by faith. Means I live by what God says, not by what I see. And if God says what you sow, you reap, and then I see examples of that in the Bible spread out over hundreds of years that what was reaped in sin eventually got, got uh, what was sowed in sin eventually got reaped in sin, I see that played out, and then I know that principle of life is true, and so I think about that in my own life to say, what am I sowing? What kind of lifestyle am I living? What am I expecting to reap from the things that I'm investing in now? Because you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. You may not see it yet for good, so you might be discouraged right now because you're trying to sow what's right and what's positive and what's godly and what's helpful, and you're not seeing the reaping of that yet. It feels like nothing has happened, and I want to guarantee it for you that what you sow, you reap. And some of you might be sowing a lifestyle apart from God, a lifestyle of sin. You might be sowing pride and anger and division and greed and materialism. You're sowing those things, and you expect it to be okay, and I'm just telling you it's going to come back on you what you sow, you reap. And we get the benefit of seeing from Babylon this whole story played out for us to give us a picture to say, okay, if I was living at that point for 40 years, I wouldn't see this whole thing played out. But I have perspective now because God's giving it to me. So pride comes before the fall, and what you sow, you reap. What you sow, you reap. So this is because God is in charge. If God is in charge, he can see to it. You see what I'm saying? What you sow, you reap, not because the world works that way or because of karma or any of that stuff. What you sow, you reap happens because God is in charge and he will guarantee it. That's the only reason why you can be confident that that's true is because God sees it. He sees the motivations of your heart. He sees the actions that you do in secret. He sees everything that we do, every meeting that's ever held to decide the fate of a nation. He sees all of these things, and he's in charge, and he has made a guarantee that what you sow, you will reap. And this is how the world works because God is in charge, not just because it works like that. So God is in charge. You can take this as a guarantee. The second question for us is who has the power. So not only who's in charge, who's in charge around here? Man, what, if the wicked rise, or if I don't like the leadership, or whatever happens, who's in charge? Well, he wants to say, man, no matter what happens, God is always in charge. And secondly, man, who has, who has the power? Not only who's in charge, but who has the power? That's the second question. Verse 13 and 14, behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. You have to see what he's saying here. This is so important. Listen to me. So Babylon is like it. 
They are the strongest, most powerful nation in existence at their time. They came up out of nowhere, and they started wiping everybody out. And so there's a point in the history there where Babylon's the supreme nation. They're the very best. They're the strongest, they're the biggest, and they're the baddest. And then look what he says in verse 13. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts? You know what Lord of hosts means in the Bible is the Lord of heaven's armies. So now he takes this group of people that are big and are bad and are strong, and he says, why don't you just wait till the Lord of hosts shows up? Right? He's trying to say, man, why? You think your army is big? It's a joke. God's like, I could wipe that out with my pinky finger. Your thousands of chariots and your strong warriors and all these people you've enslaved, man, stand in front of my presence for one second and see what happens. And so God is getting this to him and he's saying, who has the power? And so Babylon thinks they're big and they're bad. And God wants to remind them that it's the Lord of hosts who's in charge, the Lord of hosts who has the power. And because the Lord of hosts is the one who has the power, the Lord of hosts is the one who can bring justice. And so now when we pray for and when we seek justice and when we try to elect people and we try to do all these things to bring justice into the world, I want to put some firm ground for you to stand on is that the Lord, because he has the power, is the one who brings justice. So look at how this plays out again. I'm going to go back to verses 6 through 8, and we're going to work through these prophecies again. God brings justice in verse 6 through 8 to those who rob and extort. So the biggest problem in verses 6 through 8 is that the Babylonians are robbing and extorting people. So part of the way they dominate is to rob and to extort. And so God says, I'm going to rob you. Because you have robbed others, I'm going to rob you. When you mess with the Lord of hosts, your power is going to come to nothing. So God's going to bring justice, you hear me, to those who rob and extort. You will not get away with it. A country will not get away with it. A nation will not get away with it. Leadership will not get away with it. You name it, whatever. Nobody gets away with anything when you understand who's in charge. So God brings justice to those who rob and extort. The second problem is a people, and particularly leadership, who build their uh, personal and national position to the detriment of other people. This is the second problem that he has with the Babylonians, is you're building your national power and your personal position by hurting and harming other people. You basically built your country with injustice, is what he's saying. This is the issue that he has with the Babylonians. You're building your country by the means of injustice. You are stepping on people to get somewhere high. That's why he says, you've made a nest for yourself on high to be safe from the reach of harm, but I'm going to bring you down low. So God brings justice to those who build their personal position and national position to the detriment of others. That those things don't happen apart from God bringing justice to that. So as we see those things happening in the world around us or wherever, in your own workplace, wherever that's looked, where there's leaders who are abusing their power to do something negative in the world around them for the sake of their own personal gain, we can trust. We have a different perspective, guys. We don't have to get all wigged out all the time to say, man, God will bring justice. This always happens because God's in charge and he has the power. Let me give you in the next one, verses 12 through 14. God brings justice to the violent. Woe to him who builds his town with blood and found city on iniquity. God brings justice to the violent because God has the power. And then the last one, 15 through 17, right? Woe to him who leads others into sin. God brings justice on those who lead others into sin, who promote and indulge sinful practices. God will bring justice. This is so true all the time. So you have to have eyes of faith to begin to see what God is really doing. The point of this is, hey, Babylon, you're big and you're bad, but in the moment you stand before me, you become nothing. This is what God wants to say to the proud, right? You think you're big and you're bad, but the moment you stand before me, you become nothing. That's why he says, I am the Lord of hosts. 
God has a lot of names that he uses all throughout the scriptures. The Lord of hosts is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole point of saying I'm the Lord of hosts is to say I got the power. That I'm in charge and I have the power. So when you think about this picture, it's like, it's like Babylon's like a big balloon, you know? And it's blown up and it's big. And the bigger you blow up a balloon, right, the easier it is to pop. Or that's what I tell my kids all the time. You want it really big? Great. But <clears throat> when that thing hits like a little, little, sp- <coughs> oh, man. I can't even, can you throw me that water bottle? I just lost something. <coughs> Sorry. Oh. So what happens when I yell when I preach? Okay. <clears throat> so Babylon's like a balloon, right? You blow the balloon up, it gets big. The bigger it gets, the better chance it has to pop, and the easier it pops. And so when you think about pride, when you think about how God's viewing this, it's like, man, the things that look big, that feel big and bad, that look like they're in charge, they're the biggest ones on the block, God's like, man, just one little poof, and that thing is popped. It's not as big as you think it is. Here's a question for you in your personal life when you think about this. All of us, you, me, separate from like our families, our country, our jobs, any of that, separate from everything we're attached to, all of us are going to stand before the Lord of hosts by ourselves. So one day, you, yourself, right, nobody else is going to stand before the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies, the God who brings justice to evil, the God who has seen everything you've ever done and said, the God who knows every motivation of your heart, the God who has not missed a thing. You're going to stand before the Lord of hosts, and at that moment, everything you thought was important and everything you thought you brought to the table will be revealed as nothing. Right, Every good work that you thought was like going to make God happy with you or everything that you thought was important is going to be brought to nothing. You're going to be standing before the Lord of hosts. And the Bible says that when we stand before the Lord of hosts, all of us, we are naked and exposed before him. Before the Lord of hosts, the God of heaven's armies, the God who wipes out nations. The God who has seen everything that you've done and said and the God who brings justice to the world. And as much as you want justice for you, God is going to bring justice to you. In the same way that you want God to punish those who have robbed you, God's going to punish you for the same things. And so are you ready? The question is to stand before the Lord of hosts. I want to give you a picture of heaven's perspective to say your life is not what you think it is in terms of just living here and doing things in America or whatever. That your life is leading to a point where one day you're going to stand before the Lord of hosts the God of heaven's armies, the God of justice, and he has promised to punish sin. And the question for you and for me is, have we trusted in Jesus Christ? Because the only thing that's going to count in that day is Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection, and nothing else will count. When you stand before the Lord of hosts, everything you thought was important, everything you thought was big and bad, everything you thought you did good in the world will all come to nothing if you don't have Jesus. It will all come to nothing, and it will be counted as nothing. So a question for you and for me is, is your something nothing? You hear me? Is your something nothing? The something that you think makes you worthwhile. The something that you think will make you acceptable before God. The something that you think makes you important and significant. Is your something nothing? Because if the something that you think makes you significant is your job, it's nothing. If the something that you think makes you worthwhile is your own good works, it's nothing. If the something that you think is makes you important is your money, it's nothing. You hear me? Is your something nothing? Is what you're trusting in actually going to be revealed as nothing? It's going to be dissolved. You stand before the almighty Lord of the universe and it says, look, the nations weary themselves for nothing. 
building their nations and doing their power and making themselves awesome and doing things in the world to make themselves great. And then they stand before the Lord and all of that work comes to nothing. I think about this a lot. Like I love to follow sports and stuff and I just think about famous people who have all their trophies and all these important things that they've done in the world. And I'm like, that's going to mean nothing when you stand before the Lord. Like nothing, literally nothing, 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 nothing. And so you're going to live your whole life for something that's going to mean nothing. So are you living your life for something? Are you putting it in Jesus Christ because everything else is nothing? And so that gives us perspective when we think about participating in the things happening around us. God is the Lord of hosts. And the only chance you have to stand before the Lord of hosts is to put your hope in Jesus Christ. And that's it. So the question for you today is, have you done that? What are you expecting to do when you stand before God? When you stand before the Lord of hosts? What are you expecting to happen? How do you expect to make it? What is your thought? I was, I was talking to a guy the other day, yes, just yesterday. We were at my son's, um, he had a baseball team and they had a party or whatever. So all the parents were there. The guy's like, we're just talking to one of the dads. I'm like, oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's always, that's always a very interesting start to a conversation. I'm a pastor, and sometimes they're like, oh, you know, like, oh, maybe it's okay. Uh, or they'll be like, sorry for what I just said. I'm like, I don't, I'm not here for that. Like, I don't care, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, that's cool, man. What, you know, what pastor of what? I'm like, I'm, I'm a Christian, you know. He's like, what kind of Christian? I'm like, well, the Jesus lived, died, rose again for your sins, believe in him kind of Christian. I don't know, you know, like. That's it. It's like denomination stuff. I'm like, let's stop. That's not even important. Okay, let's talk about the things that really matter. Uh, and he's like, yo, I'm Jewish. I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. Are you like an actual, like you practice or are you, are you just Jewish? Uh, I love that question because it's not, it's not to sound insulting. I'm just curious. Like, do you practice? And he's like, well, man, not really. We go on the holidays. I'm like, yeah, we call those people Christer Christians, you know, and they come Christmas and Easter. That's Christer. Now, that's the only time they participate in Christianity, Christmas and Easter. So uh, those of you who are here now, congratulations. You're not a Christian Christian, all right? You made it, you made it to a service other than Christmas and Easter. So uh, he's telling me there are you know, things, and I'm like, you know, it's so curious for me with Jewish people because if Jesus didn't solve your problem, you should, like, go slaughter a lamb right now. Like, I don't really don't understand, like, it's not logically consistent. Like, you can't just stop doing what they did in the Old Testament without a new solution. And so, uh, anyways, we were just getting to it. I was kind of like, well, I just might as well see what. Uh, and I was like, do you, do you believe in God? He's like, yeah, I believe in God. You know, I just, I don't really believe in, like, uh, anything specific about it. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, you believe in the idea of God? Is that what you're saying? Like, it's a great idea? Or like, God, you know, and he's like, well, I believe in God. I just don't, I don't really know, you know, like, I don't, I can't trust, the, he doesn't, he doesn't really believe in the Bible. And I can't trust that and all this stuff. I just believe if you do good, you know, everything will work out. And I'm like, but you believe in God. I'm like, you don't believe in God. You believe in an idea. That sounds nice. And I'm like, okay, if you believe in God, that's what you say, you're going to stand before him one day, right? Like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, what do you expect? Like, what, what's going to happen? Like, what, what, what is God going to do with your, you believe in sin, right? Because you're Jewish, right? You have a really strong belief in sin. You should. And what is God going to do with that? And like, what's the solution? What, do you, what should you expect from him? Who are you expecting to meet? And I began to ask all these questions. Like, you say you believe in God. Here's all these other things that you should think about. And he's like, I don't know, man. I just put my head in the sand and don't worry about it. And I'm like, when your child is sick, you just put your hand in the sand and don't worry about it? Is that what you do? Like, ah, don't worry about it. Not a big deal. He's just sick. He could die tomorrow. No biggie, you know? No, what do you do? You go to the doctor. You find out. You get all the information you can. 
I'm like, you cannot, with your eternity, put your head in the sand. This is not, this is crazy. Like, what are you thinking? Like, you're going to put your head in the sand of heaven and hell? I'll just put my head in the sand, you know? Do you suffer forever or do you have happiness forever? I'll just put my head in the sand, you know? I'm like, what? You know, like, how? I understand people better who, like, just don't even believe in God. I'm like, well, you, don't, you pretty much don't believe in God. And he's like, yeah, just put me. And I'm like, okay, well, can I just tell you a few things? Like, okay, here's what you should know. Here's some basic things, okay? Like, and I need you to go read the Bible and all these other things. Okay, you need to know these things. And for some of us, for so many of you, that day when you stand before the Lord, you just don't think about it, You try to put your head in the sand, you know? Or when you really, if you really had to start thinking about your own pride, or if you really had to start thinking about the fact that you reap what you sow, and you were forced to think about what you're sowing, you just eh, put my head in the sand. When you think about standing before the Lord one day, and what that will be like, and how everything in your life will be exposed, it just gets to, you know, you just put your head in the sand. We'd just rather not think about it. And what I'm here to do today is to help you, all of you, those who have trusted in Christ and those who have not, to think about, be ready for, contemplate what it will be like to stand before the Lord of hosts and to ask yourself the question, is my something nothing? Like for real. Like to think about it. Is my something nothing? Is my something nothing? And will that be revealed in that day? Don't put your head in the sand. You will one day stand before the Lord. The last question is who really makes a difference? So who's in charge? Who has the power, and then who really can make a difference in the world? The same verses, behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So verse 14 is a great pre-election verse because it is the only guaranteed outcome of the world. Here's something you can know 100% will happen. The earth will be covered with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's going to happen no matter who gets elected. That's going to happen no matter what your diagnosis is. That's going to happen no matter what your current position in life is. That is going to happen. The, the earth will be filled. America, Russia, China, Africa, South America, whatever, just go. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God just like the waters cover the sea. Just like every inch of the sea is covered by water, so will every inch of the earth be covered with the glory of God, the manifest glory of God. And with the knowledge of that, why does he say knowledge? Because he said everybody's going to recognize that. Nobody's going to look around and say, hey, do you believe in God? The earth is going to be covered. This is the thing that we live our lives for. Do you hear me? In the middle of us working in the countries we live in and doing the things that we do, and whatever your opinion and thoughts are on how you participate, the thing that matters most is verse 14. The thing that you should work your life towards is verse 14. The thing that you should spend your life doing is participating in God's work to do verse 14. You need to attach your life to the purposes of God. Because look, in the difference between 13 and 14 are so significant. Look in verse 13. The nations weary themselves for nothing. They labor merely for fire. The idea being that you work so hard to build a fire and it eventually just turns into smoke. You work so hard. Like yesterday, me and Jalen were trying to make a fire, but we didn't have the fire starter. We didn't have the, the liquid stuff. We didn't have any of that, but we had cardboard and we had twigs, you know? And so it took a while, and we had to do much labor, but eventually the cardboard caught the twigs, and we got it going. We were able to roast some marshmallows, and everybody was happy. But what happened an hour later? All that work, what, turned into nothing. The fire vanished. It turned into smoke. 
This is what he's saying, man. The nations do all of their things and take their power and make their decisions and boast themselves and they labor and they tire themselves out for nothing, for nothing. And now the question is, are you and I going to give our whole lives to something that turns into nothing? Give our whole attention to something that eventually turns into nothing? Are we going to give our emotions and our heart to something that eventually turns into nothing? Or are we going to give our attention, our lives, our heart, our mind to something that will last? Look at the difference here. This is not just true for elections in the country. This is true for your own life, man. Are you laboring merely for fire? Are you working on things that will just smoke out? Are you tiring yourself out for nothing? Like, this is a question you should think about. And here's the answer to that, okay? When your life is attached to God's purposes, your work will remain in God's plans, okay? And you have to think about it this way. Your life is small, okay? It's just one little life in light of the whole universe. My life is small, and so the difference I can make in my life is small, but it's dependent on what I attach it to. It could be bigger, So if I attach my life to something that's insignificant and that burns up with smoke, my impact in my life will count for only as far as the fire lasts. And as soon as it burns up in smoke, it's over. But if I attach my life to something stronger, longer, better, namely God's purposes, to even do verse 14, right, as you participate in an election, you're doing these things thinking, man, I'm doing all of this to join God's purposes, to cover the earth with his glory, as I do all the things that God has asked me to to do, and as I participate in the things around me, if I attach my life to something small, my life will be small. If I attach my life to something big, my life will be big. If I attach my life to something short, my impact will be short. If I attach my life to something long, my impact will be long. The question is, where are you and I attaching our life? I want to give you a a little illustration here. So, can I get three of y'all, okay? Greg, Aaron, Manny, whatever. Three of y'all come up here, y'all are going to participate in this with me, all right? So I want to give you a thought on this in terms of where are you attaching your life, okay? When you think about the practical application of this, okay, this little hope sticker says hope, all right? This is your life, all right, and all your hopes, okay? I'm going to attach your life to this. I want you to hold that. Hold that. Come over here, Aaron. I want you to walk as far as you can with that. Walk as far as you can. Walk as far as you can. Keep walking. Keep walking. Keep walking. No, you can't. You can't go any farther. This is as far as you can go? All right. Let me see something else. This is love. A little sticker called love. I got these from City Like Kids. I stole them. All right, Greg. Here, you scoot over here. Manny, scoot over here. Come over here. Come over here. Come over here. All right. You hold this. <laughs> wow. Wow. Wow, it broke. That's sad. That's from my house. <laughs> All right, here. You hold this. All right, look. So now you take your life and you attach it to something else. Let's see. I can keep going. Oh, okay. All right. Off I go. Off I go. And it goes on forever, endlessly. Now, look. I want you to see something, Okay. It's broken. Just hold it. It's okay. Listen to me. When you attach your life to the purposes of the world and to the nations and to the things that the world is focused on, the impact of your life will only go so far, but eventually the impact of your life will burn out like smoke. 
because the purposes of the world will burn out like smoke. And because the things that the world spends all their time building and doing will burn out like smoke. They get tired for nothing. It stops. There's a stopping point. So if you attach your life to something short, your stopping point will be short. And the impact of your life will be short. But if you attach your life to something long, like this, the impact of your life will go on and on and on, farther than your eye can even see. So now the question is, you get to choose. You get to choose. As you participate, as you think about your role in the world, or your role in this country, your role in your job, your role in your family, how you spend your everyday life, what are you sowing, all of those things, what is God thinking about when you seize your life? Here's the question for you and for me, is what are you attaching your life to? Right? And if you attach your life to a political party, the impact of your life will be short. If you attach your life to a president, the impact of your life will be short. If you attach your life to a boss, the impact of your life will be short. If you attach your life to building material wealth, the impact of your life will be short. Even this, if you attach your life to doing good things for people but never sharing the good news, the impact of your life will be short. You're going to run out. And there's not going to be any availability to go anymore. It doesn't have it in it. You see what I'm saying? The world doesn't have it in it to go longer than it can. It's impossible. But now when I attach my life to this, and it goes on and on and on. So the question for you and for me is, what am I attaching my life to? Because what you attach your life to will determine how long your impact lasts. And as you vote and as you do all the things that you're doing, do all those things with all your might. Do it as a Christian. Do it as you believe the Lord is leading you to do. Lead your life in that direction and trust him. But the question for you and for I, most important, is what am I attaching my life to? Well, rather than this, what am I attaching my value to? If I attach my value to my looks, right, that's only going to last so long. Eventually, that's going to run out. I won't look the same. I won't like the way I look anymore or whatever. If I attach my life to my money, you can't take that with you. Eventually, it's going to run out. If I attach my life to the job I have and my identity in that, man, that's not going to be the same forever. Eventually, people won't respect you like they did. Your, your influence is going to tap out. You see what I'm saying? This is so important for you because so many of you are attaching your life to things that shorten out, and then you're frustrated because you get to this point, and you're like, I want my life to count. And you spend all your time and your energy building something that can't last, that won't last. It doesn't have it in it. The line isn't long enough. And God is saying, man, I want you to attach your life to something longer, something better, and your influence will go farther than you can see. Attach your life to verse 14, that one day the earth will be covered with the glory of God, the manifest glory of God, that one day, even theologically speaking, God's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to judge the whole world, and eventually the people who separated from God, who don't believe in Jesus, will be separated forever. The people who have trusted in Jesus will join him forever in a new place, a new physical location that's perfect, that has no pain, no suffering, no harm, no evil, no nothing, no injustice, that place will be perfect. It won't be ruled by a president. It'll be ruled by the Lord of hosts. It'll be ruled by God. And you can join him in getting to that place together, and you can join him in bringing more people to that place, or you can join the world in their small efforts to make a temporary difference. Come on, where are you going to attach your life? Where are you going to attach your life? And what are you attaching your life to now? Just think about it. Please apply in your head. Don't just let this be words to you to say, what is my life attached to? Are the frustrations that I'm experiencing now because my life has been attached to something short and insignificant? Are the frustrations and depression that I'm experiencing now, the anxieties that I'm experiencing now, is that because I've attached my life to something that just can't take me where I need to go? 
Or am I attaching my life to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I attaching my life to the purposes of God? Because when I attach my life to the purposes of God, my work will remain in his plans. And God's plans are the ones that endure forever. And so if you want your life to count, do what you gotta do while you're on this earth to participate in the things that you feel convicted by. But attach your life to the purposes of God. Attach your work to the purposes of God. Attach your identity to the purposes of God. Attach your money to the purposes of God. Attach your time to the purposes of God. Attach your energy to the purposes of God. And then God will take your small little life that's represented by one small little sticker and make it have an eternal impact. One small little life, one small little sticker, and an eternal impact if you attach your life to the right thing. Okay, why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. We ask that you would lead us now to help us apply and to help us attach our lives to the things of the gospel, Lord, as we navigate our role in the society that you've put us in, as we navigate the things that are happening in our lives and in our workplaces and in our families and in our country. I pray that you would help us do so with wisdom, but that we would do it as Christians, Lord, that we would do it as people who attach our lives to your purposes. So continue to reveal your purposes to us. Help us to know how to live out your purposes in our everyday decisions. Help us, Lord, not to hold on to something that will eventually turn into nothing. I pray that you would lead us in having lives that make an eternal impact. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of that, Lord. We thank you that you're in charge. We thank you that you have the power and that we can trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.